There is an entity that permeates every aspect of our existence. Into every moment of history, it is altogether real, certain, constant. Yet, you can't see it, hear it, touch it. Intangible, but we feel it. The way it radiates out into the pulse of our daily lives. Its impact is everywhere. It shows up in physics, the amount of energy transferred over a unit of time. It's revealed in the incandescence of the light, electrical current moving from source to ball. It's demonstrated at the sporting event, when an athlete sends a ball crashing through a net. But it also wields its authority elsewhere, in the advances of armies as they pursue conquest. It fuels the verdicts of rulers, governments, and courts as they seek to make a way of life normal in society. It's unleashed in the storm of revolution, layered in the rhetoric of tyrants who assert their will over others. Its abuse fuels the cries of the marginalized, spurring on both protests and rebellions. It is wielded by all, from the rich and powerful to a small child taking their first step. It has the capacity to take objects, people, ideas, concepts, beliefs, ethics, and history from here to there. Its name is power. Power, defined as capacity or ability. When we act in power, we make a difference. We make a change. Entangled in every area of life, power goes by many names. Authority, control, force, strength, rule, energy, influence, leadership. Power crashes into every sphere of our life, reminding us of what we already know, that power is unavoidable. So that begs the question, what are we to make of power? How should we think of it? In what ways are we designed to wield it? Should we? We've seen the good that has been done by our ability to act, the progress and advancement that has come about because of the exercise of power. But we equally know that for its unlimited potential to create order, beauty, and growth. The possibilities of its dark side are just as vivid. The same power found in nuclear reactors, a power that's stable, efficient, and capable of sustaining life for many, provides the fuel of nuclear warheads that decimate cities and eradicates all living things. For all these reasons and more, our relationship with power must be examined and explored. Does it exist to be freely unleashed in a visceral demonstration of our control, our rights, our desires, our raw power? Is the endgame to vanquish others in a pursuit of authority, dominance, and greatness? Or is power intended for something else entirely? A gift given by an all-powerful creator a generative and sustaining ability we possess to bring order, beauty, thriving, and life to the world? Which vision of power will move us from here to there? Well, all right, how are we doing this morning, everybody? Feeling okay? Great, man. Good to see you all. Great to be here at the Medina campus. And you can probably tell uh, we are actually in a series right now that is all about the topic of power. And if you are just a guest joining us for the first time or you're joining us on live stream for the first time, you're actually catching us in the third part of this series. This is week three. So you're kind of catching us mid-conversation. Uh, but you can probably gather from the video that we just watched that what we're thinking about is we're trying to examine and explore our relationship and our understanding with this thing called power.
with power. Now, power is one of those things. My guess is maybe like a lot of us who are here, if you're like me, it's not something I really think all that much about on a day-to-day basis. And yet, when you really pause to think about it, like the video just showed, you see that power impacts every aspect and every avenue of our life. And so what we're doing in this series is each week, we're actually exploring and we're thinking through our understanding of power in different avenues and different aspects of our life. And we're actually also trying to kind of seek what is God's desire for the way that we interact with power in those different aspects of life. And so today, what I want to talk specifically about, what I was kind of assigned to talk about, was the idea of the power to change. So what I want to invite you to think about with me in the time that we have is I want to think a little bit about the power to change. Now, uh, let me just say, kind of clarify, when I say the power to change, uh, what I mean by that is I'm really specifically talking about the power for our lives to change, the power for life change, for personal transformation. That's what I want to think and I want to talk about with us uh, together here today. So before we jump into this topic and we kind of look at the Bible and what the Bible says about the power to change, I actually want to just let you know, I'm actually starting today's conversation from an assumption. So I'm coming to you with an assumption uh, that I have in mind. And my guess is, I'm just, I mean, obviously it's an assumption, but I think uh, that it's a pretty accurate assumption. And if you disagree with me, I'd love to talk to you about it later if you do. But here's the assumption that I'm coming to us with here today. I'm assuming that every single one of us who are in this room and every single one who's you know, watching on live stream or is connecting online or however you're doing that, I believe that one thing that every single one of us has in common is that to some degree or another, we want to change. There are things in our life, when we look at our life, we want to experience life change. We want to experience life transformation to some degree or another. That is the assumption that I am operating under. In fact, my belief is that it's very probable that part of the reason that you're even here this morning, part of why you got out of bed and you got ready and you're here rather than somewhere else or you're watching on live stream and you clicked on this link and you're connecting is because part of what's motivating that is that you want to experience change in your life, that you're hoping to become a better person or there's things in your life that you know you wanna see change and you're hoping that maybe by being connected here that it might lead to some of that change that you have in your life. I think the truth is all of us would say, when we look at our life, that we believe that there is a gap between who we are today, where we are in the here and now, and where we hope to be or who we hope to become. I think all of us would see that there's a gap between those two things. Or to make it very simple, I think we would say that there's a gap between here and there. There's a gap between where we are today in the here and now and there, the vision of who we hope to or who we desire to transform to become. I think all of us would probably say that that is true of us. In fact, I might even say this. I might say that even if you're a person who is new to church or you're new to Christianity or you're investigating Christianity, part of what might be motivating you to investigate Christianity is that you are looking for a change. There's something that's happening in your life right now and you realize that there's some change that you desire and maybe you're here because you're hoping that maybe this might be helpful as you're looking to experience life change. I think all of us see a gap between the here and the there. So to be more specific, maybe for some of us, when we consider where we are here and now in the seat that you're sitting in right now, maybe for us, we'd say in our lives, we see that there are certain issues that exist. Maybe we'd say that there's certain behaviors that we see in our own life. We'd say that there's certain habits that exist in our life right now. And our hope and our desire is that we eventually would grow and transform and change. And that one day we would move from here to there, that there'd be real life change that would happen. Or how about this? Maybe for some of us, we see that right now there's areas of struggle 
that we face in our life. Maybe for some of us, when we look at our lives, we see that there's character flaws that exist inside of us. I know for me, when I consider who I am in the here and now, right now, I can see that there are character flaws that are inside of me that I'm hoping will eventually transform and change. I wanna grow out of those things. For some of us, we would look and we'd say, maybe there's relational patterns that exist in our life. Maybe there's ways that we interact with our spouse, or there's ways that we interact with our children, or there's ways that we interact in, in our family or relationships with other people, and we realize that there's some things that we really want to change in those things. We wanna move from here to there. Maybe for some of us, honestly, there's some addictions that exist in the here and now. Maybe those are known addictions. Maybe other people know about it. Maybe they're unknown. But your desire would be that eventually you would move from here to there. And I could go on and on, but here's my assumption today that to some extent or another, to some degree or another, all of us want to experience life change in some way or another. Now, here's the questions I wanna think about with you here, and maybe you've never thought about this, but as we explore this idea of the power to change, I wanna ask you a few questions that maybe you've never considered before. But here's, here's one of them. Question one is, what is your vision? I want you to think about this with me for a minute. What is your vision for your there? Okay, so again, my assumption is all of us see where we are today here, we wanna change, but what is the vision for what that change looks like? Do you have a vision for what that change looks like? Do you have a picture in your mind of who you're hoping to become? Now, my guess is that when I ask you that question, for some of you, maybe you've never actually considered that. Maybe you don't have a clear picture in your mind of who you hope to become. You just know that right now, there's some things in your life that you wanna change, there's some things that you don't want to exist in your life, but you're not quite sure what that picture looks like. For others of us, maybe we actually have a very clear picture of where we hope to be. Maybe we have a very clear picture, knowingly or unknowingly, of what we think happiness and health looks like, the kind of change that we're going after. Now here's the second question. So think about that for a minute. What is your vision for the change that you wanna see happen in your life? Here's a second question. What is it that is going to empower you to move from here to there? So remember what the series is called. It's called Power. And what are we talking about? Power, power is a force. It is what leads things to move from here to there. And so my question is, what is it that you're looking to? What is this? What is the force and what is the source that you are looking to to see this transformation take place in your life, to see life change happen. Now, as you think about that, I just wanna say, I think as people and as a society, there are a lot of different places you can look for the power to change. There's a lot of different places that we do look. And so uh, just to give a couple examples, one of the places that we look to experience life change is we might look to self-help. That's a, a place that we oftentimes look as people and as a society. It's of course no surprise to you that the self-help industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. If you go to Amazon and just look up books about change or self-help books, you're gonna find just a plethora of different resources that are available. It's a major industry and the reason is because many of us are looking for a change and one of the places that we look is we look to self-help, learning how to use self-empowerment or self-enrichment or whatever that might look like to experience transformation. Another place we might look uh, for some of us is we might look to counseling or we might look to coaching. And so some people would say, as many of us would say, if you really wanna experience change, if you really wanna move from here to there, the way forward actually starts by looking backwards. And so maybe what we need to do is we need to go to counseling, 
We need to unearth, you know, childhood wounds from our past. We need to overcome some of the things that are motivating the behaviors that we see in our life. And it's only when we deal with the things in our past that we can actually experience real change in the future. One of the places that we look is we might look to coaching. Uh, We look to life coaches or to other people to come alongside of us and to help us get a, a picture of what it looks like to experience change in our life. One of the powers that we might look to, to to pursue change is we might look to religion. Um, and a lot of people do this. They, they will be involved in a religious system to try to seek after becoming a better person, adding morality to our life, or whatever that might be. Uh, one of the places we might look is we might look to friend groups. Um, you guys have probably heard the old adage, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And there's a lot of truth to that, that the people that you most associate with are going to be the, is going to really determine the kind of person that you become. And all I'm saying is that there's a lot of different places, there's a lot of different powers that we can look to to experience change. And I just want to say, all of these things are very powerful and really do lead to real change. And many of them are actually really helpful and are really necessary. But there is a deeper question I want to invite you to think through with me with the rest of the time that we have, and we're going to look at the Bible here in just a second about this. And here's the question that I want to invite you to just take it a step deeper. Here's what I want to invite you to think about with me today. Not just what is your vision for you there. Here's the real question that I want, to, I want to invite you to think through with me. What is God's vision for you there? Okay, or, or maybe to be a little bit more generous in the way I ask the question, does God have a there? In other words, does God have a picture? Does he have an idea? Does he have a vision for who he wants you to become? And if he does, I think the follow-up question is, What is it that's going to empower you to get to God's there? What is gonna help you get from here to there? Now, this is where I believe that the scripture is very, very, very helpful to us because I believe that the Bible actually offers some really clear and really helpful answers to these questions. So I wanna invite you, if you got your Bible, why don't you take it with me? And the place that we're gonna be going is actually 2 Peter chapter one. Okay, so if you got a Bible, why don't you join me? 2 Peter 1 is where we're gonna go. If you did not bring a Bible with you here today and you wanna use one of ours under the chairs, page uh, 983 is where you're gonna find 2 Peter chapter one. And as you're finding 2 Peter chapter one, I just wanna let you know what we're gonna see, I believe, in the short verses we're gonna look at. We're just gonna look at about eight verses. That's about as far as we're gonna get in the time that we have. But I believe that in these verses, what we're gonna discover is we're gonna discover three realities three realities about change, three realities. And I wanna tell you what they are, and then we're gonna spend the rest of our time working through them. Okay, so here they are, very simple, three realities about change according to scripture. Here they are. Number one, God's purpose. I want you to get a hold of this today. God wants to change your life. He wants to, and he has a vision. He has a vision for you're there. He has a vision for what that change looks like in your life. I think the the scripture is going to show us that. Number two, God's power. There is divine power. There is a power that comes from God that is available to you to move from where you are today to the vision that God has for you, for who he wants you to become. That's number two. Number three, your part. God desires, and I would even take it a step further, he actually requires your participation in this process to experience the change that he desires for you. Okay, those are the three things, very simple. And my hope is that as we go through this passage, you're gonna see that I'm not just making this up, but it's right here in the Bible. So let's just start at the very top. Let's talk about this idea, God's purpose. God wants you to change. He wants to change your life. 
and he has a vision for you. He has a vision for you're there, for where he wants that transformation to, to, to what, what he wants that transformation to look like. Now, let me just say, I know when I, when I say that, when I read that to you, uh, for some of us, that honestly, that excites us. It excites you to know that God actually wants to change your life and that he has a vision for what that looks like. For some of us, that's really exciting and we wanna know what that is. We wanna discover what that is. For others of us though, uh, for being honest, maybe we're a little more skeptical. And when I say God has a vision for what he wants your life to look like, some of us are like, well, before I sign, sign up for that, can you tell me where it is that we're going? Uh, because what exactly does it mean when you say that God has a picture of what he wants me to look like? Because quite honestly, for some of us, the picture that we have in our mind when we think of a Christian person maybe isn't necessarily that much of an endearing person. For some of us, the picture that comes to our mind might be some of the stereotypes that we see in media and in Hollywood. So we might think of, like for example, we might think of Angela from The Office, or you might think of like Ned Flanders. And we might be saying to ourselves, is that what God means when he says he wants to change me? Does God want me to look like these people? And, uh, and let me just be very clear and help you out. The answer to that question is a resounding no. Okay, that's not what God is after. Thank God, that's not what he's going for, okay? God's vision for you there is not to just adopt some kind of Christian stereotype or to take on a Christian subculture. That's not it. What you're gonna see is that he has a very, very different kind of vision for your life that is much more about your character. It's much more about your character. So let me show you. You're actually gonna see it right here in the passage. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, starts off this way. He says, Simon Peter, so that's important, so the guy who's writing this, this book, the book of 2 Peter, is written by Simon Peter. He also goes by Simon. He was a disciple of Jesus. He's writing, and he says, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace is yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he is beginning to write this letter to a group of Christians and as he opens it up, he introduces himself, and then look what he says in verse three. He says, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and his own goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and his very precious promises so that through them, you might participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. Okay, let's hit pause there for a minute. You can tell reading these verses, this is very dense. It is very rich. What Peter is writing, he does not waste a word. And there is so much that is loaded into these verses that you could spend a lot of time thinking about. But here's what I wanna draw your attention to. Do you notice that in these verses, Peter is actually telling us the vision, he's telling us a little bit about the destination that God has in mind for us. What kind of change does he want? And you notice what he says. He says his divine power is gonna give us everything that we need to what end? So that we can live a godly life. We can live a godly life. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, well, what's that? What does that mean, a godly life? Well, simply put, a godly life is the kind of life that God desires for you to live. That's what it means. And that might sound simple, but I actually think that's kind of profound because what it tells us is it tells us that God actually has a desire for the way that we live. And specifically, he's gonna, get, he's gonna actually give us some more detail. He's gonna say, God has given us these things to what end? So that we might be able to participate in the divine nature. Now, that is a crazy statement. Think about that with me for a minute. He says, God wants us, what his goal is, is he wants us to participate in the divine nature. Now, that is so trippy. What does that even mean, to participate in the divine nature? 
Well, let me see if I can simplify what I think Peter is saying here. The word participate literally is a Greek word. It's the word koinonia, and it means to share or it means to have in common. So what is he saying? He's saying God's goal is that you share or you have in common the same nature as God. Now, what does that mean? Okay, let me put it as simple as I know how to put it. Here's what I believe he means. I think what he's telling us is that God's great vision for your life, the great vision that God has for every single one of us is this, that he wants us to look and act and think and be motivated more and more like Jesus Christ. I think that's it. I think God's goal is that we look and we act and we think and we know Jesus more and more and more. He wants us to look like his son, Jesus. That's God's goal for us. He wants our desires to reflect his desires. He wants our character to reflect his character. He wants us to grow in an intimacy and knowledge of Jesus, and he wants us to look increasingly more like him. That is God's great work project in your life. That's what he wants for you. Now, now listen, I know that for some of us, we hear that, and we, we were like, well, I know that. I know that. The Bible teaches that all over the place. Like, for example, in Romans chapter 8, very clearly, the apostle Paul says the same thing. He says, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined or he predetermined that we would be conformed into the image of his son. In other words, God, he has predetermined that his desire for us is that we would look like Jesus, that we'd be conformed to the image of his son. God wants us to look more like Jesus. And again, I know for some of you, especially if you grew up around the church, you're like, well, yeah, I know that. I already knew that. But here's the thing. My hope is that I really believe that if we could really get a hold of this, if we could really internalize that this is the thing that God is after in our lives, I think that so much frustration and so much confusion and so much disillusionment in the Christian life could be eradicated if we just got a hold of this, that this is what God is after. This is what he wants for you. He wants you to look more like Jesus. Let me see if I can put it to you this way, just to make it clear. I want you to imagine with me, this is a hypothetical scenario, totally made this up. I want you to imagine with me tonight, in the middle of the night, Jesus Christ himself showed up to you, all right? Jesus shows up, and I want you to imagine that he says to you, I'm gonna give you two options. You have two options, and you can pick freely, either one of them, and I will completely honor your choice. And option one is this. Jesus says, let's just say, and I'm just kind of making this up, let's say he said, for the next 24 months, two years, this could be the easiest two years of your life. And if you choose option one, then all of the plans that you have right now in your life and in your career and in your family, all of those things are gonna happen pretty much the way that you want them to happen. You're never gonna feel out of control, never once. You're always gonna feel like you have a, 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 gra a grasp on the situation. You will, you will be healthy, your kids will be healthy, your family will all have a clean bill of health. There won't be a lot of turbulence in your life. It's gonna be smooth sailing, but here's the issue. If you choose number one, at the end of that two-year period of time, you're really not gonna look much different than you do today. You're pretty much gonna be the same person that you are inside and out. Now, you're not, you know, I'm not, you're still gonna to go to heaven and you still can go to church and all that's fine, but you're just not gonna look all that different than you do today. Our option two is this. Option two is in the next 24 months, this can be some of the most challenging, one of the most challenging seasons you've ever faced. And in this time, you're not gonna feel like you're in control. There's gonna be several times that things don't go the way that you hoped and planned them to go. 
things in your life, there's gonna be, there's gonna be real times that you need to cry out in desperation because you just don't know what to do. But here's what I promise you. If you opt for option two, I promise you that at the end of this time, you're gonna look more like me than you ever have in your life and you will know me more deeply and more intimately than you ever have before. Which option would you choose? Now, here's, here's my thought. My guess is we're in church, so we're all like, two. <laughs> or maybe for some of us, we're like, is, is there like, could, could I ask Jesus for option three? Like, could we, do a, could we do a hybrid of those things or whatever? But I'll be honest with you. If I'm just being completely honest with you guys, if I'm, if I'm looking at my own life, I would say that most of my pursuits and most of my prayers reflect option one. But I think if we really understood, man, if we really got that God's great vision for your life is that you look more like Jesus, that we, act, that we, that we, that we become more like him, I think that we would see value in going with option two. In fact, I think we might even understand what it says in the book of James, that we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Why do we consider it pure joy? Is it because we're masochistic? No, it's because we realize God has a vision for where he wants us to go. So before we understand the power to change, I think Peter says you first have to understand the destination that God wants to take you. Otherwise, you might be set up for a lot of frustration and a lot of confusion and a lot of misunderstanding in the Christian life. But that leads to the second thing. So God has a purpose. God wants to change your life, and he has a vision for that. He wants you to look more like and know Jesus more than ever. And uh, number two, there is divine power God wants to give you power to experience that change from here to there. Okay, this is exactly what Peter is gonna say. Let me just show you verse three. This is such an important verse in the Bible. I might even encourage you to commit this to memory. It is that important. Here's what he says. He says, God's divine power, his divine power has given us everything that we need so that we could live the life that he wants for us, that godly life. He has already resourced you. His divine power has given you what you need to experience this change that God desires for you. Now, again, you guys, I think this, this verse is so important, and here's why. Because Peter is trying to tell us that this change that God wants to see in your life, this is not just an idealistic pursuit. This is an actual possibility. So when I say to you, that you can actually look more like and be more like Jesus. That's actually something that Peter's saying is a possibility for you. Now, we can't, we'll never be able to do that perfectly, and, and we're gonna talk about that here in a second. Peter never says that we can do it perfectly, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, real change is really possible. And I think that's so important for some of us to hear here because for some of us, we have just, we have just kind of resigned ourselves to believing that we really aren't gonna change all that much. And I think what Peter is saying is, no, 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 change is truly possible. God's divine power wants to give you the, 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 wants to give you the ability to be able to experience real transformation in your weakness, to experience real transformation over your struggles, to experience real transformation in your anger, to be able to truly overcome addictions, he actually wants to give you power to do those things. And my question is, do you believe that? Do you actually believe that God wants to resource you to that end? And by the way, I just wanna kind of clarify here, I don't think when Peter says this that he's just blowing smoke either. And, and the reason I think that is because, well, not just because it's, it's in the Bible, which is reason enough, but part of the reason I think what Peter is saying here is so legit is because if you actually just stop for a moment and think about the man who is writing these words, 
I think that actually adds a whole lot of legitimacy to what he's saying. So just remind me for a minute, some of you guys who maybe are familiar with the Bible a little bit, who is it who is the writer of 2 Peter? This is not a trick question. Who is the author of 2 Peter? Can you guys remind me for a minute? Peter, right? There you go. So he actually told us, he told us who. He said, Simon Peter is the one who's writing this letter. Now, why is that important? Here's why that's important. Because if there is anyone who is qualified to write on the topic of life transformation, if anyone had the credentials to write on that topic, I just want to tell you, Peter would be near the top of that list. Peter is a man who experienced unbelievable life change and life transformation over the course of his life. I wish I had more time to get into this. In fact, I originally was planning to spend a lot of time in the sermon talking about the transformation in Peter's life that that he went through, but I realized as I was preparing that that would be another sermon in itself, and I thought I'd be gracious to you and only give you one sermon today, so you're welcome for that. Uh, but, uh, But man, I wish I had time to get into it, but Peter experienced unbelievable transformation in his life. Um, Peter, this, this book that he's writing is Second Peter. We know that this is the last book that he wrote before the end of his life. Commentators will say that he probably died maybe just weeks or months after he wrote this. But I want you to know that Peter, this is probably written in the 60s AD, that the Peter who is writing this book is a very different Peter than the one that we are first introduced to in the Gospels 30 years before that. And the Bible chronicles, it tells us about the kind of transformation that he underwent. And I'm not gonna get into all of it, but a high-level picture would be that Peter goes from a guy who is impulsive and unpredictable. He goes from a guy who is overzealous and temperamental. He goes from a guy who is inconsistent and unreliable to over time, you see Peter transformed to be a pillar in the church. He is a major leader in the church. He is a man who is a sacrificially loving person eventually even giving his life for his belief in Jesus Christ. And he is a man of incredible, bold faithfulness. And you see him over time, not perfectly, but gradually, he looks more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And when you read the Bible, you see that transformation take place. Now, here's the thing. The very same Peter who experienced this transformation is the very same Peter who is writing these words in 2 Peter. And he's telling us how it happened. And what does he say? He says, here's how it happened. God's divine power has given us everything that we need to experience this change that he desires. In other words, what Peter's saying, I think it's just very simply this. Peter is saying that the power to change, the power to experience the transformation that God desires is not something that exists in and of ourself. We don't have it in and of ourself. So the power to experience the transformation that God desires, it's not something that we seek within ourselves. It's not something that we muster up from within ourselves, It's not something that we, we look to ourselves to, to, to somehow experience. It has to come from God. It takes God's power to experience the change that he desires for us. And so therefore, I think that the very first step of change, if we really wanna change in the way that God wants us to change, I think the first step is very simply this. We have to come to God and we have to surrender to him. We have to turn to God. We have to say, God, I do not have the resources to change. Not, on my, not the way that you want not in and of myself, I don't have what I need, but you do. And so I wanna surrender to you and I wanna turn to you and I give my life to you. And I think what Peter is saying is that's where real change begins. You have to surrender yourself to Jesus. You have to surrender yourself to God. And when Peter says, he says, but when you do that, 
when you surrender yourself to God, what you're gonna discover is that there is divine power that is now available to you. You can receive divine power from God to experience the change that he wants. Now, he says this. He says his divine power is gonna give us everything that we need to live this godly life. Now, some of us might be asking the question, okay, so that sounds good, but can you, like, can you put some skin on that for me? Can, practically speaking, can you tell me what are some of the things that God gives us to experience that change? It, tell, it says that God gives us everything we need, so can you give me some examples of what that might look like? Well, sure. Um, I can actually, I'll actually give you three, three resources that God has given us that I think Peter has in mind. Now, I will say I think Peter has a lot of things in mind, but I think he has at least these three things in mind when he's talking about the power to change. So first off, when he says that God's divine power has given us everything that we need, I think I could build a pretty compelling case that what Peter has in mind here is most probably the Holy Spirit. I could probably build a pretty good case for that, that when he says God's divine power has given us what we need, that a big part of what Peter has in mind is the Holy Spirit that is given to us. Uh, it is without a doubt that the Bible is going to teach us that the operative power for change in the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans 8 says. That's what Galatians 5 teaches us. The Bible's gonna say this all over the place. When a person surrenders their life to God and they commit themselves to Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is received by that follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit will lead you into righteousness. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. The Holy Spirit will, will help you so that you can walk alongside the Holy Spirit in the transformation that he desires that is a divine gift that is given from God, the Spirit of God. So I think part of what he has in mind here is the Holy Spirit. I think another resource that God has given us that is actually right here in the text, I think he's given us his word. In other words, he's given us the Bible itself. Do you notice what Peter says? He says his divine power has given us everything that we need for a, life, uh, for, for a godly life through our knowledge of him, that is our knowledge of Jesus, who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through those, you might participate in the divine nature. So just think about this for me. He says that part of how we grow in this life of godliness is we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. We grow in our knowledge of who he is and what he's like. And part of how we grow in this is that we take hold of his very great and precious promises. Now, here's the question. Where do we gain knowledge about Jesus? Where do we learn about him? Where do we learn about who he was and what he's like? Where do we understand and see the promises of God? Where do we learn those things? And the answer is this. We see them in the Bible, right? They are there for us in the scripture. That's how we gain access to those things. You guys, I believe that one of the greatest resources that God has given us for our growth as he has went to great lengths to preserve for us the Bible that you are holding in your hands or you are holding on your phone. And we had talked earlier, Pastor Kevin mentioned a class that we're offering this fall. It's called, What is the Bible? I just wanna tell you, if you have never taken that class before, can I strongly encourage you to consider signing up to take that eight-week class? And the reason is, is, is part of what we do in that class is we actually spend a lot of time talking about how did we get the Bible that we currently have in our hands in the translation that we got it? What is the process by which the scripture was passed down to us through history? Well, how did all that kind of take place? And we kind of think through that. And can I just tell you, after studying that very, very deeply, can I tell you what I'm convinced of? I am convinced that the fact that you have the Bible in our hands, that we have it in our hands, in the translation that we do, preserved the way it has been preserved throughout history, is an absolute act of God. God wants you to know him. 
And he's went to great lengths to, to, to give that to you. So one of the resources he's given us, he's given us his spirit, he's given us his word. Let me give you one more. I think we see in this text. Another thing he's done is he's given us his people. He's given us his people. He's given us each other. He's given us community. Do you notice the amazing amount of plurals that are used in this passage? It says his divine power not has given you, he has given us. He has given us everything that what? That we need so that we can live a godly life through our knowledge. You see, we need each other to know Jesus. We need each other to help pursue Jesus and who he is, who has called us by his own glory. He's given us his promises so that through them you, and it probably comes as no surprise to any of you that the you that is used here is plural. So literally it's y'all. He's given y'all everything that you need. And so in other words, what this is saying is it's saying that, listen, God has a vision for who he wants you to become. He wants you to look more like his son, Jesus. And he wants to give you the power to experience that transformation. He has given you his spirit. He has given you his word. He has given us each other. Now, some of you at this point might be saying, okay, I I hear what you're saying. I'm tracking with you. But for some of us who are maybe a little bit more skeptical, might be saying, okay, I hear what you're saying, but let me just, let me just point this out then. Then why is it, why is it, pastor, that it seems like even though we have all of these resources from God, even though we know all of this, why does it seem like so many people don't actually really change? Some of you might be saying, why does it seem like so many people can even sit in church their entire life and it seems like that their life looks no different year after year after year, that they look no more like Jesus than they did the year before. Some of you might be even asking yourself, why is it that I have sat in church my whole life and I don't really see that much of a difference in a change in my life? Why is that the case? And I think that's why we have to understand this third reality about change, and that's this. It's that you have a part, your part. God, and this is what I want you to get a hold of, God desires and more than that. He actually requires It is a requirement that if you want to experience the transformation God desires for you, there's a requirement that you participate with him in that process, that it requires effort on your part. I honestly think this is one of those areas where I feel like for so many many people, this is where we fall short. We don't fully understand this. And I'll be honest with you, it's kind of confusing. If I'm just being real honest, how change works, I'm like, God has a part and the Bible's gonna say that we have a part and it's hard to piece together, but it is very clear in scripture that there is a part that we have. So look what Peter says. Look what he says next in verse five. He says, for this very reason, for what reason? Because God has a vision for your life. He has a picture of who he wants you to become and he has given you everything that you need to experience that change. For that reason, he says this, you should make every effort. You should make every effort. Now, this is actually a pretty interesting and strong term right here. I want you to know that the phrase make every effort is not a soft term in the Greek language. It literally is the same word that is used to talk about an athlete, an Olympic athlete who is training for an event. Um, I want you to get that picture in your mind with me for a second. Imagine an Olympic athlete who is winning at their event or who is training for an event. Imagine this moment right here. And let me ask you this question. How much do these athletes on the screen, how much effort did they put into this event right here? And the answer to that question is every effort. Their entire life, right? Their, Their sleeping schedule, their diet routine, all of those things was towards this end and was towards this goal. Now, if you think about this picture for a minute, 
like a guy like Usain Bolt, right? Clearly, he is a man who has the ability to run the way that he runs. He was genetically designed in a certain way that he was just born to run. He has the right DNA. Quite honestly, there's a whole lot of us who just don't have the ability. We don't have the ability, and he does. But it takes way more than ability. You also have to have effort. Because even if he had the ability and he didn't make the effort, he would never experience the change that he sees there. See, I think what we have to understand is that the Bible is gonna say that, listen, the Christian life requires effort. It requires effort. Yes, it is empowered by God. We do not have the power in and of ourselves to change the way that God desires. But because God has given us his power, we need to make effort. It requires effort. And again, I know it's a complicated thing to say. I actually really love the way that one author by the name of Dallas Willard explained this. It's probably the best explanation I've ever heard. And I've quoted this a million times. And so if you've heard me quote it before, I apologize, but it's such a good quote. Here's what Dallas Willard said. He said this, he said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And that's an important statement because yes, there's, there's nothing we can do to earn anything from God. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to earn from God. But here's the truth is God has given us his grace. And because he has given us that grace, it requires effort. It takes effort on our part. You see, I think the kind of attitude that Peter is advocating for here in 2 Peter 1 is the kind of attitude that says this, God, I want you to change me more than anything else, and I am willing to cooperate with you, however that might look. I think, that's what's requi- I think that is the kind of attitude that is required among God's people to experience the change that he wants. God, I want you to change me more than anything, more than any other goal, more than any, any, any other aspiration. I want to see the change that you want in my life, and I am willing to cooperate with you as we pursue that. That's why he says that we need to make every effort. Now, again, I know that might sound abstract, so let me see if I can illustrate this maybe as best as I can. So um, the other day, it's probably a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine asked me, called me up, asked me if I could help him move something at his house. And so Went to his house, helped him move this thing, and then afterwards we were hanging out in his basement, just kind of catching up on life and just talking. And I noticed that in the corner of his basement, he had one of those um, Peloton bikes. He had one of those things. And I was like, and so I, I made a comment. I said, oh man, so those things are sweet. I said, you got a Peloton. I said, how long have you had that? And uh, he said to me, he said, well, I, when the pandemic started, I bought it because I, you know, the stay home order and I wanted to stay in shape. I said, oh, that's cool. I said, do you like it? And he said, uh, he goes, well, if I'm, I'll be honest with you, he said, I liked it for the first two months. He goes, but he's like, and I feel a little bit guilty saying this. He goes, I haven't been on it since then. So it's kind of sat here for two years. I said, oh, that, that happens sometimes. And so we kept talking. And as we were talking, I, I couldn't help but notice, I was, looked at the Peloton, I couldn't help but notice that right next to the Peloton uh, was a treadmill. And right next to the treadmill was a weight rack, which all of these things had clothes hanging on them. And it made, and, and come on, we've all been there, right? We've all been, how many of us have treadmills in our basement that are clothes racks right now? A lot of us have that kind of thing going on. Here's the point I'm trying to make. It is entirely p- possible for you to have all the resources and see none of the change. Now, why is that? It's because you've got to make an effort. You have to do something. Now, you didn't have the resources before you knew Jesus. You didn't, but you do. You do now. So what is he saying? Get to work. 
You gotta make effort now to take those resources that God has given and begin to implement them in your life because God wants to partner with you in the transformation that he desires. Why is it possible that a person could sit in church their entire life and never experience change? For the same reason that you can have a Peloton in your basement and never get in shape. You gotta do something with it. You gotta do something with the things that God has given. So what does that look like? What does it look like to make an effort then? Can you help me with that? I think Peter does. Because he goes on, he gives us this list. Look what he says. So make every effort to add to your faith, faith. What's faith? Belief. Belief in what? That Jesus has died for you, that he has forgiven you, and that he has empowered you for the change that he desires. You have to believe that. Add to that goodness. Some of your translations say moral excellence. What does that mean? It means, here's what it means. It means being a good person. Listen, we're not saved by being good people. But the Bible's pretty clear we should be good people, and we should make effort to become good people, moral excellence, and add to your goodness knowledge. He says you should grow in your knowledge. You shouldn't be satisfied. Listen, we should just be satisfied with just coming on a weekend and just letting someone else teach me what is in the world. We have to pursue a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is and his word. Add to your knowledge self-control. That's a good thing. Add self-control. The Bible's gonna tell us that that is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And add to self-control, perseverance. Some of your translations, that's literally patient endurance. Add to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection, which is literally brotherly love. It's, it's, uh, it's Philadelphia. That's the word that's used there. And add to mutual affection, love, which is literally the word agape. That's God's love. That is love for all, including even your enemies. So Peter, and man, I wish, again, I wish we had all day to just meditate and think about this incredible list that Peter gives us. This is awesome. I think it's worth thinking about and really meditating on and just thinking about what he's saying here. But can I just tell you, I also think that as awesome as this list is and as helpful it is, I think there's also a caution that comes with this list. And the caution is if you're anything like me, if you're a person like me, I'm kind of a, I'm just kind of by default, I'm a task-driven person. And so when you tell me God wants you to change and he wants you to look more like Jesus, my first question is, okay, how? And then when you give me a list like this, my inclination is to say, great, I love lists. And I wanna take this list and I wanna make it into, check, into to a checklist. I'm like, okay, good. So this is what God wants me to do. Then I'll do this and I'll check the boxes and then I'll be like Jesus, right? That's sort of how that works. You just give me a list of things and I'll work that. But here's, here's, what I think, here's what I think the caution is. I don't think that the list that Peter is giving us is a checklist. I also don't think the list that he's giving us is an exhaustive list. Like there's other things you could add to this list. And I also don't think the list that he's giving us is a progression. Like, I don't think he's saying, like, if you start here, you're a white belt. If you get here, you're a black belt Christian. Like, I don't think that's what he's saying at all, right? In fact, I don't even think the point is the list. Remember what the vision is? What is God's vision for our transformation? He wants us to look like and know Jesus. I think what he's saying is, part of what that means is it means these things. Because this is what Jesus looks like. And so you should pursue these things. You should make every effort to pursue these things in your life. Um, if I can make it as clear as I know how to make it. This last week, I was talking about this very passage with Pastor Seth, and he reminded me of something that I had forgotten about. But we, we, Pastor Seth and I read this book um, separate from each other, but it's a book that's called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. It's an excellent book. And in that book, Dallas Willard, who is a Bible scholar, spends a whole lot of time talking about this idea of how we change, of how God changes us. 
And he draws up this diagram that he calls the golden triangle. And I think it's really helpful. So I'm just gonna show it to you. I actually simplified it for our, and I probably am not doing it as much justice, but I simplified it. But here's what Dallas Willard would say. He would say, when you look at the scripture, you're gonna see that the change that God desires is he wants us to know and be like Jesus. That's the desire. That's exactly what we're talking about today. And Dallas Willard is gonna say that according to scripture, there's three things that are at work towards that end that God wants to use. He wants to use his power, his divine power. He's given us everything that we need. He also wants to use our effort. We have to make effort. Spiritual disciplines, it's a big thing. And he says that God is gonna use our life circumstances, the day-to-day, in-and-out circumstances of life, that God wants to use every day our circumstances, and he wants to use our effort, and he wants to give us his power so that in those circumstances we can know and be more like Jesus. So with that in mind, let me ask you this question. Here's the question I wanna ask you. When you look at this list right here in front of you, when you think about that list, is there anything in your life right now? Are there any circumstances? Are there any opportunities? Are there any situations that God has placed in your life right now for you to grow and to make every effort in any of these areas to be more like Jesus? Let me ask you that question. How about this one? I won't do all of them. Let me just pick a couple. How about this one? If you think about your life, just think about your life right now. You know, every, every single one of us, we walked in here with a set of circumstances that exist in our life. When you think about your life, is there any circumstance, is there any situation, is there any opportunity in your life for you to grow in Christ-likeness in patient endurance? Has God given you any situation right now that's requiring patience? So you're like, yes, they're called children, right? And you're like, I have, yes, God has put that. Now, is it possible, here's what I want you to think, I wanna reframe the way that you're looking at your life right now. Is it possible that maybe the reason God has put you in that circumstance and has allowed that circumstance is because he wants, he wants to give you the power He wants to empower you so that you can make an effort by his power and through his strength to know Jesus and to become more like him in your patience, to grow in your patience through the circumstance that he's given you. Is that possible? And here's what I believe. I think that's what Peter's saying. I think he's saying God has given you what you need in the circumstance that you're in through his divine power that you can actually make effort in that scenario to be more like Jesus and to know Jesus. How about this one? Brotherly love, which means loving your family or loving those in the, in the Christian family, loving other Christians. Are there any relationships that God has put in your life right now, any circumstances, that God has given you as an opportunity to grow in your ability to love other Christians or people in your family? Are there any scenarios that God has put in your life group or in your family right now that is stretching your ability to be able to grow in your commitment to other people. That's what I'm just saying. Is it possible that the reason that God has put you and has allowed that circumstance in your life is because he wants to give you the power so that you can make an effort, so that you can know Jesus and you can grow in your brotherly love and look more like Jesus? Is that possible? See, I think it's really hard for us sometimes because what we do is when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, a lot of times with people, what we do is we tend to bail. 
or we tend to just cancel the relationship or just get out of it altogether rather than seeing maybe God has a purpose in it so that we could grow to become more like him. We go through all of these and talk about how God wants to do that in our life. But I think if you understand this, I think it helps us reframe the situations that we're facing in life. It helps us have a fresh vision that God is after this goal. He wants us to know and be like Jesus. He has given us the resources to do that and so we can make an effort to do that as well. I think that's what helps us make sense of this last verse in verse eight. If you possess these qualities in, this is an important word, increasing measure. So we don't do this perfectly. None of us do this perfectly. But the question is, are we growing increasingly? He says, if you do that, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, if you grow in these ways, you will be productive and you will be effective. In other words, it will ex- you, you will see fruit. You will see change happen in your life. Well, there's so much more that we could say, uh, but for our sake here today, I wanna just conclude our time by asking the band to come up. And based on what we just read, I wanna conclude by asking you to consider four questions with me in light of what we just read. Then, then we're, we're finished. So here's the first question. If you think about this, one of the clear questions, number one, do you know Jesus? I think in light of everything we just read, this is the most important question that we can start with. If it is true that the real power to change the way that God desires us to change comes from God, if it's divine power and it comes through Jesus, then I think the first step is that we need to look to Jesus. We need to turn to him. And my question is maybe for some of us, have we done that? Have we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ to experience and receive the grace and the power that he wants to give us for this change? Some of you might be asking the question, you might be saying, now wait a minute, are you saying that it's not possible for me to change apart from Jesus? And I just wanna tell you, that's not what I'm saying at all. I think it's very possible for a person to change apart from Jesus. There's a lot of different powers you can look to to change you. Here's what I am saying. It's impossible for you to experience the change that God desires from you apart from Jesus. The scripture is very clear on that. Do you know him? Do you know him? Here's the second question. Do you have the same vision for your there that God does? Do you share that? Do you understand that God's great vision for your life is that you look more like Jesus? Do you want that? Do you want that? I think we need to examine that. Are you on board with that? Do you desire that? Can I tell you what I think one of the greatest tragedies in life would be? I think one of the greatest tragedies in life is that you would experience 100% success in all in achieving all of the change that you want for your life and experience and completely miss out on the desires that God has for you. I think that'd be a tragedy. Which leads to the next thing. Do you really believe that God has given you what you need for this? Do you believe that? That's what the Bible tells us. God has given you what you need. You already have it. You don't need anything new. You have what you need. And I think because of that, the question is, will we make an effort? Will we put forth effort to participate with him and the change that he desires for us? Will you reframe the way that you view your life as an opportunity to participate with God, to grow to be more like Jesus and to know him more and more? So maybe you could just take some time as we worship and we sing, would you just talk to God? Maybe process through some of these questions with him. Ask him, ask the Holy Spirit to help lead you as we think about what to do with this message. And use these songs as we sing these lyrics. Make them not just lyrics that you sing. Make them the prayer from your heart to God's heart to cry out to him together. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I do just wanna say thank you that you love us enough, that you have saved us, that you have come to us, that you have died for us, and that you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
But thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just save us and leave us, but you saved us and now you have called us and you have given us everything that we need so that we can make effort to pursue you. So Father, help us to do that. Help us to take the resources that you have so generously given us to actually make steps to actually know you and to be like you and to be changed by you. God, I pray specifically for the person in this room who's facing circumstances that are challenging and that are difficult, maybe relationships or people or issues in their life right now that they just don't feel like they have the power and strength to get through. God, I pray that you would help them to see that there are divine resources available and that they would lay hold of those things to experience a deeper intimacy with you. God, that's what you want for us. We wanna know you, wanna be like you, we wanna say thank you that you, that you want us to partner with you in that pursuit. So help us, Jesus. We need your grace. We need your spirit. We need you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.